live from Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And hello out there in Radio Land. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics from Studio A here in Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, moderator Justin Russell, joining me as they do in the studio. To my left, ironically, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, the one we know as Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. In studio also with us is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy, fresh off the heels of a trip to from Boca del Vista. He is live in studio, Admiral Ken Carradine. Hey, Admiral Ken. It's great to be in a balmy D.C. We are going to have others of our regulars. Sharmila will be check, checking. And lo and behold, walking in the studio, on time as always, he is the newly minted baby daddy <laughs> and bar member of, or a member of the bar here in the Washington, D.C. and greater um, Maryland area. He is Dan Lipner Esquire. Daniel, congratulations on the baby and the addition. Thank you very much. Uh, name of the baby? The name of the baby is Isaac Jules Lipner. Isaac Jules Lipner. It's got a congressional tone to it. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Congressman or, or, Isaac Or a superhero tone to it. It could. Yeah, that could be. Okay. Uh, mother is doing well, I hope. Mom, Mom is doing well. Okay. Baby is doing well. Everyone is home now. Fantastic. Uh, definitely alone. trying to get- Home alone. Hmm? Home alone. Uh, home. Uh, mother-in-law is there. Perfect. So. Okay, perfect. That perfect. means you got a free license to play here at Backroom Politics. Uh, other people will be joining in. Sharmila will be joining in, hopefully, during the hour, as will uh, Laura Chavez from Chicago. Uh, in case you don't know it, uh, we are- Recording today, it is literally four hours before the beginning of the rescheduled State of the Union address, where the president will visit the hall, the hallowed chambers of the House of Representatives in a joint session of Congress, presenting his State of the Union. Based on the people who said they're not going, it could be the hallowed. Uh, it could be, of well, that's the <laughs> other thing. Uh, this is fresh off of the longest government shutdown. In American history, it is fresh off of some big political news that's been going on. We're getting into the throes of the 2020 race. But what I wanted to do on this uh, part of the show is talk about, we have not heard of the State of the Union. We've heard people talking about the State of the Union today. The question is, let's dive into what could be a part of this State of the Union address. What are the expectations and what would be a success or what would be a fail for this president? Let's start with just the general tone. Uh, Admiral Ken, the president has let it out through press gaggles going on around the White House that this is going to be a a unification message coming out of the president as he delivers. Just a second. I'll get to you in a second, Dan. He's, he's pushing unification. He's pushing uh, a collaborative effort in the way that we govern this country. Is that a message that this president can sell to this Congress? So uh, the the word that I heard this morning uh, was comedy, C-O-M-M-I-T-Y versus comedy. Um, is this a message that this president can sell? Um, if the president can deliver that type of message and follow it up with behavior that is consistent with that messaging, then I think perhaps in time, you know, a, a larger group of people than his core 30 percent might buy it. However, um, with his track record being what it is, um, I fully expect that uh, a week from now we'll be sitting around this table, both um, virtually and as well as um, locally, scratching our heads going, well, no surprise there. Alan Moore, is this this going to be a, or can we hope for a bipartisan message coming out of this president, or is the expectation of people here in the Beltway, this is the same partisan rhetoric that we've heard for the past two, two and a half years almost. Well, this will be another case where it, 
If he can stay on the script, which will be a written speech um, that he will be uh, teleprompted through, and we, we could take odds, you know, it's like uh, two days later, Super Bowl, we could have a whole bunch of bets. Will he stick to the script? He doesn't tend to stick to the script, but, but that's not nearly the reach that it would be to live into the the tone of a speech that's built on uh, cooperation and so on. So he can deliver a speech. He's unlikely to stay with it, but he may. The challenge, is, is, as Ken so correctly said, though, is living it. And, and that's where history, old history and, and recent history, tells us again and again and again he can't do it. Uh, Dan Lipner, the I mean, I, I hear what Alan's saying, but there, there's got to be some level of hope going. There's got to be some level of hope that he announces uh, his resignation. No, no that, that's not that's not going to happen tonight, Dan. Uh, I, I mean, look, the, the there's only been slight breadcrumbs released from the State of the Union address. The one that I know that I got from our friend John Allen from the Burger King uh, rapper that uh, he. Uh, again, before, again, uh... again, again, we're trying to be civil here, Dan. Trying to be civil. Uh, to get the quote that we've gotten from this speech: "Together we can break decades of political stalemate. We can bridge old divisions, heal solution, or, or heal old wounds, build new coalitions, forge new solutions, and unlock the extraordinary promise of America's future. The decision is ours to make." That is the one excerpt that I've seen out of that speech. If that is any indication of the speech, could we see a reconciliatory president dealing with a Congress that might want to, if for no other reason, offer a peace offering and start making uh, and start governing the country the way it's supposed to? On this episode of Real World Donald Trump's White House, yeah, we'll get an episode of him reading the speech with words that he did not have a single part in writing. And he, and as Alan pointed out, he will be completely off message in about five minutes after the speech saying the evil Democrats don't want to do the, these kind of things to reach out and balance things. It, there is nothing in this president's history, either campaigning or while he has been in the White House, showing that he's been able to hold to and follow through on any of the when he's managed to pull together something resembling soaring rhetoric and bringing that to flourishing of his actual presidency. There's just nothing to that. There's no evidence. Admiral, can you agree with that? Absolutely. Uh, I think that anyone who's thinking seriously that President Trump um, can uh, ignore his 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 primal urges to say what's completely on his mind and not what's been written for him to say is living in a dream world. I, I don't I don't believe that he can do that. Go ahead, Alan. He hasn't done it yet. Yeah, so I'm reacting to two guys saying a speech that he had no input in or the words put in front of him. It's not how he operates. And I've just I've been I've been reading uh, the Woodward book, which I which I commend to everyone. We all saw the excerpts when it came out, but I've been I've been reading it. He does. He gets involved more than than you think. He argues. He pushes back. A lot of times, he simply refuses and rejects. In one case, he finally agreed to a speech about Charlottesville. Uh, two days after he talked about this moral equivalence, after being he gave, drawn, he gave, he gave a speech that that he grudgingly was dragged into agreeing to. He messed with the words. He gave the speech. People said, "What a great speech!" And two days later, he undid it because it didn't reflect his feelings. <laughs> No, no, no. So, that goes to so, Dan's point. I get so, what he's saying. Well, no, no, no. It, the, 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 the fact that to say he had nothing to do with it, he reads somebody else's words, is not how he operates. Having said that, when he says words... We are really he, quibbling hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're quibbling over whether or not he put a scratch on... No, no, no hold on. Not, in front of but, but it's Dan, not on, It's on. not how it works. All I'm saying, I don't... You know, if, if we're going to talk about him, let's be as accurate as we possibly... No, 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 can let, be. Let you go. don't have to say stuff that's not true to make the point. Let me jump in. Well, not, hold on. Let me jump in. Let me ask you this question. I, I mean, is there is an expectation 
that when a president gives an important speech like the State of the Union, that the president at least somewhat buys into what he's saying or what he's reading off the teleprompter. Is that the case with this president? Well, I don't think he does. Remember, a state he doesn't of, write this stuff. A State of the Union speech is probably going to have at least 30 different subjects. Okay. Maybe more, maybe less. A lot of them. Some of them will be highly reflective of what he feels. Some of the stuff we're talking about will be stuff that he grudgingly goes along with. It wouldn't it doesn't But isn't it's the a, expectation that the president should buy what he's telling the American public by reading off the teleprompter. Bu- he buys it in the moment. He buys it in the moment, oh. agrees to it. Well, come on. And then he he goes he he reverts to form. That's not leadership. He'll, he'll, that's not a leader. Well, I'm not talking that's not what we're saying. I'm not defending him as a as a leader. All I'm saying is is I, I, how he works, what he's likely to do. It wouldn't surprise me if he follows a script that he Ooh. negotiated some of. He waits to see what the press says about it. And, right. and then comes back and 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 moves in a different direction. Okay, Dan that's, that's what I expect. So, I don't Dan, know. I don't have the certainty that others seem to have. But right, that's Dan, what I expect. Let's go to Dan Lipner. Dan Lipner. So, since the Woodward book, which I also read, is a part of the topic of this conversation, the I, I will admit the I, I was amazed by certain elements of the Woodward book that seemingly the Trump administration was. In the route, not necessarily for things that I would agree to as a Democrat, but at least as a political professional or somebody who's involved with com- political communications, they were almost there to handling something almost right until they managed to, and I won't use the phrase that I would use in, in a more relaxed uh, environment over a beer, but stepping all over their own to mess up their own message. And so often and so consistently, this president or some of his senior advisors managed to completely break with what could have almost been a halfway decent strategy. They couldn't get out of it. And we're talking within 24 hours. They couldn't see their way for success. They actually stole defeat out of the jaws of victory uh, so consistently. Agree. And they've I, been doing it. I, I think we agree with that. But it's but usually he, the president, who does that. All right, Admiral Ken, what do you, you're, you're just sitting there shaking your head. I. I uh, well, so first of all, Dan and Alan are in in violent agreement with each other, and I, you know, I, I just want to say, I haven't heard anything in the last two minutes that <laughs> <laughs> that that basically breaks from what we said at the beginning of this segment. Can and I, I guess I, I'm just I, I'm I'm glad that I'm going to be at our favorite watering hole this evening with a large cigar and a, an equally large scotch when right. I listen to this. All right. So, so let's, let's talk about the, the, the big 5,000-pound elephant in the room that, tonight, and that's obviously the wall. It, well, let me, let me go to a more general question before we dive into that detail. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Dan Lipner, and then I'll go to Alan because I know this will be fun. <laughs> when the, the president already talks to the American people, over Twitter. The electorate sees him every minute, whether it's 50 or five tweets, he's tweeting to the American public, his audience. Who is the audience tonight? Is it, in fact, the Democratic House? Is it his base? Is it his Republican allies in the Senate? Who is he speaking to tonight? Because I don't think he's speaking to the electorate. Well, who does he want to speak to or who will he end up speaking to that define both define both so i have no doubt the the best angels on the shoulders of both the president and his advisors will think they can reach out to the american people as a whole and completely disregard the past two years of this god-awful presidency and they'll just dance past it like none of it ever happened on this latest episode of Real World White House, Donald Trump. That is what they're going to try and do. However, I am quite certain there are going to be some questionable, and even though we're on radio here, air quotes, facts in uh, the president's speech. And he's going to stick with some of the rhetoric about the the necessity of the wall because 
that's where all the drugs and and illegal immigration comes from, where none of the facts support him and on multiple different fronts. I suspect he is also going to, while he had claimed victory in Syria uh, against ISIS, claimed victory uh, in Afghanistan in trying to pull out, and all of the the our the military hierarchy and as well as the the intelligence hierarchy have suggested all of that's a really bad idea, uh, and that's leaving off my own personal opinions on this, based on just the congressional testimony that happened last week. Right. He's going to end up speaking solely to his base uh, and Sean Hannity, who, which I've now forced myself to watch Fox News, and it was just amazing. They're still blaming Hillary Clinton for everything two yeah. years later. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, that said, that's who he's going to end up talking to because the nonsense is what's it's going to be heard loud and clear. Alan Moore. I agree with Dan that that he will be, that, that he will be talking to <laughs> that, that he'll be talking to his base, but he'll pe- he'll persuade himself and some of the yes people around him um, who have so, so much trouble telling him he's off base and he reacts in a highly negative way when they do. They will convince themselves that that this message not only doesn't get crossways with the base, but it provides a bridge to working with the Congress and the and perhaps the national press will respond more positively than they normally do. It will be in their minds to do that. It would be a first if they succeeded. Admiral Ken. So so I think the the thing that you we all should look for uh, are are the the, the misrepresent, misrepresentations as well as the um, uh, the fake facts. Uh, look for fake facts with regard to the the economy and how well it's doing. Look for fake facts as to the number of jobs that have been created. Look for fake facts as to the growth uh, to the growth. And, and and so these are the things that that Donald Trump routinely. One of the things I want to be careful though. I, I hear what you're saying though, but if if you look at the numbers right now, uh-huh. okay, uh huh. Okay, most of the economic indicators. Right now, that I've seen. I mean, look when when Ali Velshi on and MSNBC says, "Hey, the numbers under so Trump the, the, aren't the, bad the, the at stock, all. The stock market is up. That's true. But we will be lucky to see two better than two percent growth this quarter. It has not. It has not peaked up much. Hold on. Has not peaked up much uh, above that uh, throughout the uh, overall throughout the last year and a half." Jobs are down. The right. uh, the the the, uh, the deficits uh, it's nearing an all time high. These are the these are the facts of what's going on. And I look at MSNBC too, and I also look at CNN, and I look at Steve Ratner, uh, Steve Ratner's graphs online, and he gets them from uh, the, the uh, from Wall Street Journal and and and, uh, and a lot of the other uh, uh, governmental economic organizations. The bottom line is the bottom line is what what our listeners should do are the same things that we do. Every time the president makes a point with regard to the uh, to the economy. Economy, jobs, or anything else, go out and take a look at it uh, on an independent. Oh, they, well, yeah, they, I mean, absolutely. They're, 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 but they're nobody, gonna be, everybody's going to be fact checking. Uh, I crap you know out what? Of this. But you know, no, I think they they trust the news to do. It. And this goes back to the comment that you've made before about an uh, an uninformed and uh, an unintelligent electorate. This is an opportunity to pick up the Google machine, right? No, no, and, I agree. And look at this stuff. I agree. I I absolutely agree. Um, Far more interesting is going to be Stacey Abrams' response. I don't. I can't think of a time we've picked a hold that political thought. loser. I want to, I want to, to talk uh, about that. I, I want to talk about that in a second. I, I do want to talk about uh, the situation with we are literally now less than two weeks away from another possible government shutdown. People I've been talking to on the Hill, people I've been talking to in the administration, are saying that this is not going to go to shutdown, but. They have all been wrong before. The only person who really knows, the only two people who really know this, are Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump. And Mitch McConnell. And Mitch, and well, I, 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 warning I, shots have already been fired by Mitch McConnell. None of them know. And I want to point out, before the uh, the last shutdown, you posed this question on air, and I was the only one who said there's going to be a shutdown. I didn't right. think it would go as You're long, right. go as, long right. as it did. You're right. But, but here's the thing is, the wall... Damn that Am Col- Ann Coulter and <laughs> We had it. They're on my speed dial. We had yeah, it. No kidding. So here's a question. When are they is, coming on the show? Yeah, no, no, we don't want them on the show. The center of our show is about. Uh, here's the thing is, does Donald Trump have an opportunity to 
push sensible immigration policies forward and still claim a win without it being wall, 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 wall? Or does he just go, excuse the pun, and Rob, I don't know if you have to, Rob the engineer who's behind the glass, keep it as honest, if you have to bleep this, is he going to go balls to the wall? Wall, balls to the wall. It's not fun oh. if you laugh at your own joke, man. And by the way, the, or, the, 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 origi- the origin Never of the phrase has thing. nothing to do with anatomy. It has to do with machines. Um, okay. Anyway. <laughs> is, is he, is he going to go full on to the wall? Um, so the he always has the opportunity to do the right thing. Um, he's the president of the United States. He could, in theory, rise to the occasion. We have never seen it. Um, I'm always rooting for it. He is, in fact, the president of the United States. Um, for my Democratic friends or progressive friends or even now Republican friends that hate this guy and say <laughs> he's not my president, that's not how this works. He is the president of the United States. Uh, for good or for evil, in this case, there seems to be a lot of evil. He is the president of the United States. That said, um, he could do the right thing. There is actually a coalition. There was a coalition before uh, for immigration reform uh, that went through the Senate until the the uh, lunatics in the House pushed back against it. Poor George W. Bush is where this thing started with the, his guest worker plan uh, until he got completely blindsided uh by his own right wing. Nobody saw that coming because we knew it had been percolating there, but we had no idea the level of zeal they had. And they and they knocked a few people out of office simply at the proposal of a guest worker plan. Right. Trump would have to stand up to his base, stand up to Ann Coulter, stand up to the lunatics uh, to get something done. It's plausible. But this guy's a spine. He's a punk. Uh, All right. uh, Admiral Ken and Alan Moore. (laughs) So. So I think I think it's important to remember that throughout most of the time of the uh, the shutdown, um, the the sources in the White House were saying that the president's closest advisors, Jared Kushner, uh, Nick Mulvaney, uh, Kellyanne, were all telling him that the, the American people are behind you. Stick with it. Stick with it. Stick with it. And so he has he has he has gone to these people to this well before. For uh, for information, and if they're telling him the same thing again, then you can look forward to him not doing the right thing by the country, and putting putting us through yet another government shutdown. Go ahead, Alan Moore. Yeah, I I don't know what those people were advising. I don't have the impression that they were as unified as as Ken is suggesting. There was a famous meeting where Mulvaney, with members of Congress present said, you know, there's probably a middle ground here um, in terms of the, the dollars. And the president, That's when Trump went, and off, the president went off on him um, profanely and publicly. Um, so uh, it, the, the problem, one of the problems with this president is he swings and shifts and he'll, he'll talk about the wall. And then at, at another point, he'll talk about um, the, the, about strengthening the border or border security. Um, then he talks about fences. Um, he is all over the place. Now, the, the, <laughs> there's not much good about that, but the one thing that, that it opens a, 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 at least some hope or potential is that, 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 that there, there's conceivably a construct of enough money with, with some barrier replacement or reinforcement that would allow both sides to say, the, the Democrats to say no wall, the Republicans to say, oh, yeah, we got some wall. I don't I'm not predicting that. I think how but but I don't know. There's a there's a potential. There's a willingness to put quite a bit of money into this pot. Right. Um billions of dollars. The 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 dollar number is not the problem. It's the symbolism actually of of wall slash fence slash the barrier. Right. Having said that, remember what happens on the 15th. The government shutdown, possibly. Well, the 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 authority to spend money in about a fourth of the government ends. So you have to do one of several things. You can shut down and just go back. I'm I don't see that happening, but it could. Um, we also could kick the can another week or two. You just come back and say we're close or we're not or whatever. Or but but you don't. It, it it's not. It's not closed down or nothing. You can 
you can go another two weeks of extended spending. Right. Or, and the president keeps talking about this, um, uh, he can uh, issue an executive order, declare a national emergency, and start and and try to take money out of out of uh, the the defense budget and start building. And and that's still alive. Okay, we're we're going to take a quick break. Hold that thought, Admiral Ken. I'm going to come to you first. We are going to take a quick break here in Studio A at Podcast Village. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's our State of the Union preview here on Backroom Politics. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Stay with us. A man has acted like a heart that's good for nothing. Low down, I believed and trusted. Now I'm disgusted. I found him out, had a show down. When I think of him, how much I love him, I got a desperate notion. That's the way I feel today My heart is aching Because he's making a plaything of my devotion That's the way I feel today Without any reason Or a word to say That man turned his keys in He packed and went away What good is living I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean That's the way I feel today Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And we're back with the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live from Studio A here in Podcast Village in Washington, D.C. Joining me in studio, Admiral Ken Carradine, Dan Lipner, Alan Moore, and joining us from the hopefully defrosted Windy City of Chicago, Illinois. She is the former NBC talented producer and all around just kick butt journalist. We know her as Laura Chavez. Hey, Laura. Hey, guys. Yeah, it's above 30 here, so we're counting that as a huge win in Chicago. Yay. <laughs> Laura, did you feel any ice quakes? I've never heard of the thing before. What uh, is an ice quake? I don't know. Apparently, it's a thing they're experiencing in Chicago. <laughs> did, you have an, did you have an ice quake, Laura? I did not experience an ice quake. Uh, I, live a, I think I live a little too close to the lake, uh, but several of my friends out in the suburbs actually are convinced 
I have no idea if they actually did, but they are convinced they felt it. It is essentially when enough ice gets into the ground, it expands a little bit and causes a little bit of a like pseudo earthquake. So apparently all the only time you really have to get worried is if Dennis Quaid is walking in front of your house pulling a sled. Nobody gets the well, idea. It's just no, that funny. Yeah, I, I got it. It's just I, mean, I, am, I feel like I, I am bombing. Yeah, today. there's no real. <laughs> I'm bombing today. There's no right. real appropriate thing to after that. But <laughs> please, yeah. please don't explain it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're we're continuing on with our State of the Union. And oh, by the way, Rob, the engineer, is behind the glass, keeping us uh, honest. How you doing, Rob? And uh, somewhere out there in the hinterlands of upstate New York is our producer Audrey Howerton. Hey, we want to talk a little bit in our State of the Union preview. What do you what do you shaking your head for? Go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is there a problem? No. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah. The, the State of the Union, uh, we're going over, and it, it hasn't happened. It's due to happen. We record this on Tuesdays before, and the reality is, oh, I didn't introduce Admiral Ken Carradine. I'm sorry. No. Oh, I'm sorry. That no, that's fault. not it. No, that's not it. What was it? Well, at, we ended the show, I mean, the, the last segment, talking about um, the president's ability or think that- Let me prefer- oh, No, no, I'm not, I'm not even well, starting yet. you asked yet. me what? Okay. I'm just right. answering the question, sir. Wow, sensitive. <laughs> you, wow, you down at Boca del Vista become real sensitive. I'm just answering All the right. question, sir. Anyway, we're, we're talking about the State of the Union. And now- the Jerry Springer edition. Now, Admiral Ken- would you like to make your comment bef- that you were going to make before the break? So there's some discussion uh, of the last few weeks or so about the president declaring a state of emergency uh, to where he could, uh, uh, I guess, vector funding toward toward building building his wall. And I, I'm I am not a constitutional scholar, uh, even though I did sleep a good a good uh, have a good night's sleep at Boca del Vista last night. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is that the Congress has the power of the purse. And that when you start doing things like this, you're setting precedent. Uh, and I, I bow to Dan to, to comment on this. So what's to keep uh, a follow-on president, say a President Cory Booker or a President Kamala Harris, when at the, on the back end of, of yet another school shooting, uh, declaring an emergency and outlawing um, um, handguns or automatic weapons or bump stocks? What's to stop that from happening? I mean, we're, I think we're treading on are you Are you asking that of our attorney? Or? I'm asking that of our attorney. Dan? So a couple of things. One, the Constitution as originally written did not exactly envision those kind of emergencies. In fact, it's been an issue that uh, the balance of power between the executive and legislative branch has been struggling with for a very, very long time, uh, in particular since the start of the nuclear age and uh, nuclear weapons not allowing for Congress to necessarily act when uh, ICBMs started uh, uh crossing uh, different portions of the atmosphere. That said, Congress has spoken with the War Powers Act as far as the kinds of things that that the president can do in states of emergency. FEMA has some some pretty interesting powers that uh, allows the president to act in, in different ways. In addition to that, there's also the commander in chief issue and uh, I'm pretty certain, and somebody can correct me on this, I've, I've always kind of wondered about this myself, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers is technically part of the Pentagon, I believe. Uh, so, correct. So but, they, they actually answer to the the Secretary of the Army. Okay. So uh, they are under a military command. Yeah, and, and as I recall, uh, my history of West Point, that part of it was uh, all West Point uh, graduates were also supposed to be engineers in part for the, those kind of uh, national projects. Um, so there, there are all, all of these elements sitting out there. Now you have to also balance that with the political atmosphere that is out there, and just ignore the left for a second on on this. Uh, Justin, as you mentioned, the what's to keep uh, somebody from a President Cory Booker, uh, President Kamala Harris, President Bernie Sanders from saying there's a national state of emergency with the number of people killed with handguns. Therefore, the president is going to. Um, plenty of Republicans and conservatives have gone down this rabbit hole quick and have started screaming really loud about that One is a constitutional amendment. I mean, you know, we're talking about the Second Amendment on the gun side 
versus the issues involving Posse Comitatus no, 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 and no, no, Stafford no, 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 no. Act. It, it, it's all there's there's law and politics. The two are always inter- intermixed and, in, and intermingled right. as far as the practicality of how you do things. It is absolutely clear to me both the House and Senate would smack this president down hard. Right. I also firmly believe the courts will do the same I, thing. This president, it, it's he might try it. It would create grounds for impeachment. That said, it there, there's there's almost the, no pathway forward this is for a him whole, this to, is a to subject, do anything. This is a subject. Uh, this is a subject for a whole nother show. I mean, we could the question. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 this, no, but this is a live option on the on the table. We're not quite done with it. I hope uh, we'll probably. <laughs> I, 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 I want to say something. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Alan. Everybody Wait, else Alan, has. You, 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 you speak on issues? <laughs> <laughs> so let's assume that the president goes down this road and he says, I've tried. It's an emergency. I'm going to declare an emergency. I'm going to take money from the from the Corps of Engineers, which, which among other things, builds uh, inland waterway projects and a whole host of surprising things. Um uh, and and divert it to construction of of b- barriers down on the southern border. There will be immediate court challenges. I get such a kick out of people, and I'm not talking about this show, but people on on conventional TV shows who say you can't do that. It's unconstitutional. It's unconstitutional. I learned early on in the Senate that the only things that are unconstitutional are things that the Supreme Court ultimately decides are unconstitutional. So you constantly hear, say, you can't do it, violates the Constitution. It only does if it is decided in a court of law. Now, you can guess with a high level of probability that certain things are would be unconstitutional, and people don't even try it. Nobody likes to lose. But the president could try that. There would be multiple court cases. The president would have to explain what authority, and there are multiple authorities in federal law in which he, he, he can exert certain kinds of powers. I haven't heard anybody who came up with any example that that makes you think, oh, wow, that would probably work. Most people think it won't work, but not everyone. And it would go through the system, and it would take a long time. In the meantime, um, it, it, it only if he succeeded would this other concern, which is a very legitimate concern about setting a precedent, really become relevant. Because if he if he brings this forward, gets smacked down, it's not exactly the right. kind of thing that's going to cause others to say, all right, let's, let's have universal background checks uh, declare a national emergency. There's a third factor that's also in play that could come up earlier, and that is – in the House of Representatives, the 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 Speaker could raise what's called a, a a resolution of disapproval of the president's action. It would pass the House. It would come over to the Senate, and the Senate would have a short period of time. It would uh, to have to act as well. Kind of what and they the, did about Syria. And the Senate does not. The Republicans in the Senate they're do never going to go for that. Want to engage in an issue. Where right. they're clearly, directly, immediately, potentially at cross purposes, but again, uh, purposes but, with but, the president. Hold on, so there's those on. three factors. All right, that are I, I all hear what you're saying. Problems. I, no, wait, hold on, hold on, everybody. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but again, that is anticipating that the fact that the president does invoke his quote unquote emergency superpowers on this question of of the border and the question of the wall. I mean, this is this is a moot point unless he actively says, I have just declared a state of national emergency regarding immigration laws on the southern border, and here's how I'm going to invoke those policies. These are all three things that that people around him are saying, here are problems if you do that. Yeah, and, and those, those perils are not – so this is where it's – good. so a couple of different things where the peril lies. One, the Army Corps of Engineers being military branch, that's a problem because that is theoretically where the president is most powerful. And if the president speaks and then it also is challenged in courts – and the president continues to say, Army Corps of Engineers, I don't care what the courts say, think a la Andrew Jackson, uh, we're still going to continue to act. You now have problems. Uh, on a secondary point, um, the this president, I think he's going to get beat back on all fronts. And this is where things get a little odder for me. I believe in a strong executive. But that said, the strong executive has to 
act ethically and within the bounds of law. If this president does this, there's going to be a flurry of legislation restricting the president from this kind of stuff. Future you, presidents wait, will on, be harmed by this kind of let, nonsense. Let me bring this back to the state. Maybe, well, maybe hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me bring this back to maybe the state not. of the union. Let me bring this back to the state of the union. Does anybody here at the table actively believe that the president is going to get up in the in a joint section of Congress and announce that he is invoking emergency powers tonight? No, he may, but but I I you expect he'll, he'll mention it? it. Absolutely, Lord, Lord Chavez. In one way or another, he'll he'll acknowledge that he has other 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 things he can do. Lord Chavez, I mean, it's possible. Does it make sense for the president to telegraph the invocation of emergency powers? I think since he's still trying to play so strongly to his base, I mean, his poll numbers are in the high 30s, low 40s. I think right now he's doing anything to make sure that is a safe and stable space. I don't think there has been any like waning from it, but he just kind of wants the ego boost. That being said, I think it's probably safe to say he will allude to it. And I think a smarter play or a play, I shouldn't say smarter, I apologize, a play out of the Trump playbook uh, is much more that he will declare it tomorrow. A la he went or the midterm elections are on day one. The next day, all of a sudden, Jeff Sessions is gone. They like this. This administration isn't one to do play all their cards at once, but they do play them very close to each other. So you're suggesting that the president will kind of hint to it, and then while everybody's still kind of reeling from the armchair quarterbacking of the night before, they drop this little political hand grenade and say, oh, emergency powers invoked. I think that's something that the administration has done in past, and I think it's something that it'll do in the future. And this is just another example of the timing being right for that action. Uh, he, his poll numbers are low, and according to most polls, I'm sure there are some out there that say he's in the mid-2000s. I don't know. Um, but that being said, I think it's one of those things that they like to bombard the media so that you don't know. Your head has to be on the swivel. You don't know what way you're looking. That being said, this is a great opportunity to do that. Hey, did you hear about the uh, city union? Um, he covered so many topics. It was immigration. It was um, infrastructure. It was all of these things. And, oh, by the way, while we're still talking about something that has substance, he's doing something else to kind of try and sneak it under there to make sure it's not the headline, but instead, you know, just another talking point. Well, Alan Moore, Laura brings up a very interesting point. I've never thought about this. Does is is the president using the state of the address and the media coverage around it almost as his own personal focus group? Because that's I mean, if you listen to what Laura says, it, it makes sense. And then he just kind of pivots the way he wants to based on what everybody else is saying. Well, as I had said earlier, there's a he may stick to his script. We don't expect him to, but he could. And then he'll go see what his friends in the news world, what the reaction is. And if he thinks, oh, they like it, that might help. Or he may say, well, they're all they're all wrong. Even though they like it, I never felt comfortable with it. But that's focus, go that's focus group politics. Well, it, it, it's crazy. <laughs> Have you not been paying attention to what this president does? He try, he, <laughs> I never thought about it until Laura brought it up. The that problem way. is his focus group is the is the is the is this narrow crowd um, at at Fox and and a few other places. It's not even the people around him in the White House, although there's certainly some yes, plenty of yes people there. Um, uh, many of whom, as we were as we've learned, even when they disagree, learn usually to bite their tongue and not show they disagree because it usually doesn't work out well for them and it doesn't change anything. Dan Lipner. I mean, to some extent, I'm now playing this forward, assuming that he even flirts with that. Every president of the United States says the State of the Union is strong and resilient and beautiful and wonderful. How is he going to swear that with a later sentence saying the risk of a state of emergency because danger, horror, the sky is falling? Uh, that juxtaposition in the same speech is going to be an interesting uh, rhetorical challenge that I have no doubt this president will not meet. <laughs> <laughs> Admiral Ken? Uh, nothing to add. I completely agree with Dan. <laughs> hey, Lord, regarding immigration policy, because that's going to be the big ticket item coming forward uh is is this something he's going to come in like a bull in a china shop or is is there a possibility that he could actually 
start laying some groundwork for some sensible compromise uh, with his congressional adversaries? Um, I don't believe he's going to come in like a bull in a china shop if he sticks to script. I think it's going to be one of those things where he's feeding off his audience. You know, he's got a, a fair amount of friends from the Senate coming and a much smaller amount of um, a much smaller amount of friends on the House side coming. But he's definitely going to be having a show of strength. He's not going to say anything too inflammatory unless the crowd really gets him going and then he to- goes totally off script. Uh, there's a reason that speechwriters are involved, and I know that's a risky thing to say with this administration, but the State of the Union is something that, you know, we just got off of a shutdown. Right now, his job, they keep claiming that this is going to be some sort of bipartisan speech. Um, I can't remember the exact wording, and I apologize for what the general thesis of it is, but, you know, essentially he's trying to, he's trying to, um, the point of this one's going to be to try and unify the country a little bit more than he has been in the past. But that's kind of been the point of all the State of the Unions in the past. Admiral Ken, is, is Kumbaya, is it too late for Kumbaya for this president? Has that ship sailed? Uh, again, I, I said I, I said it before and I'll say it again. If he tries to deliver a speech that's all about, um, you know, turning a new leaf and, and, and trying to take some of the acrimony out of uh, the the, uh, the air that, that he has created since almost his first day in office, and he follows it up with actions and words, then in time, I think he can pull it off. But you know what? Quite frankly, I, I, we, you know, we, we've been watching this now <laughs> for two and a half years, and, right. and I just don't see it happening. Let's, let's to clarify, about- uh, just as a quick side note, I believe that the speech will be an attempt at bipartisanship. I think all of his actions for the next you know, two years until the next State of the Union, I guess, would be a better estimate than two years, but those probably will not be any sort of, like, unifying gesture. Yeah. I, 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 Dan Lipner? The only interesting things that are going to come from this speech are, are actually going to be the color around it. Nancy Pelosi, with her standoff, uh, it, where she came away the winner uh, with Trump in the, in the Oval Office, uh, where poor Mike Pence was sitting there as a, an ornament on the furniture. Um, Nancy Pelosi is going to have to sit there, and while she definitely has handled herself with grace and dignity in the past, um, she's never had to sit in the speaker's chair behind this president saying utter nonsense. So her maintaining that dignity and not making a facial expression is going to be a challenge. In addition to that, whether or not OCA uh, is going to be tweeting during the State of the Union, which I think is entirely possible, and as I mentioned before, the the Democratic response by Stacey Abrams. So those are going to be the actual let's, interesting things. All right, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about. Let, first of all, let's talk about uh, Stacey Abrams for a second. Wait, but before, okay, okay, before go, you go to her, all right, go ahead. Just a, a, go ahead. a thought on the on, right. the on the Nancy Pelosi. I yeah. think I think the first interesting thing with her is going to be how the president greets her when he walks up there, because she will be sitting behind him along with Vice President Does he shake Pence. Her hand? He'll shake her hand, and he may well he will say something. Uh, typically, he'll say, "Madam Speaker." Mr. Vice President, distinguished members of the Congress. So he'll, you think he'll go he'll in there and go, hey, Nancy, hey, Mike. He'll, no, but he'll make a reference to her, and that'll gain some applause, and he may turn around and, and, and nod, shake her hand again. We don't know. But those things can, can – those little symbolic things can make a difference. There's something else that I wanted to mention, though, in the speech, at least one, and there's probably several, things that, that Democrats will like. And that she herself might like, and the one that comes immediately to mind that seems to have just emerged in recent days is he's going to call, I believe, on trying to end new HIV infections in America by 2025. That'll take significant money and significant effort. Most, a lot of the public health people think it's doable. She, her first speech as a member of Congress dealt with HIV back in the 80s. Now, this is a subject of great grand interest to her historically, to San Francisco, and to, to other big cities, but to a lot of other folks. Um, it, it, it surprised me that it kind of emerged, but it, it's the kind of thing that, that could get her applauding. And there may be a couple of other times where she applauds. He may turn around. I don't know. There could be some little stuff to right. keep our eye on um, 
and and then there's the whole question, obviously. Now I will defer yeah, of, uh, of the Democratic real quick, response. Real quick. Last evening, uh, they showed a clip of President uh, George, George W. Bush uh, in uh, his greeting of uh, Nancy Pelosi for the first time when she was when she won the uh, the speakership uh, during his term. I think that um, based on how President Trump handles that particular moment, I think you'll be able to tell a lot as right. to how the speech is going to go. Okay, let's talk about Stacey Abrams. It was announced last week that uh, by uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer that. Uh, the former governor candidate in the state of Georgia, Stacey Abrams, would give the Republican response. I believe Democratic response. A Democratic response, rather. The uh, Dan, I believe you pointed out. I think you might be correct that I don't remember where we've seen a high-profile losing candidate give the response to the State of the Union. What is the upside for the Dems having Stacey Abrams do this? Well, there's a bunch of things. Um, so let's start with the the basic optics of the Democratic Party and the, the, the folks that got the Democratic Party to retake the majority in the House. Uh, the Democratic Party is represented disproportionately by women, but disproportionately by women of or by people by, of color. And Stacey Abrams got real close in Georgia, and there's still some real questions as to whether or not the race may have been stolen from her. Um, the numbers are seem a little too high to me, but there is absolutely some questions of irregularities. And uh, from the flurry of other legislation that's occurred in uh, various different parts of the country that have uh, been a challenge to voting rights as well as the Supreme Court's rolling back right. of some protection. Okay. So th- well, th- th- but again, that, why th- Stacey Abrams now? Well, that, to highlight those issues and to keep that front and center. In addition to that, now you, the political context of her, of, her, of her being chosen. She is not one of the 30 people that's going to be running for the Democratic nomination. The while I don't quite remember the the failures of in Democratic politics as the failures have been in Republican politics of people wanting to run for president and then giving a response to the State of the Union and they're seeing their political careers quickly plummet uh, because of a failure. I have no doubt uh, political communications experts are going. Listen, there the odds of messing this up are so high. Don't do it. So. All of the other people who are front and center and also making sure that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer don't need to make a choice amongst the thousand people that want to run for president. Stacey Abrams is a great safe bet that also covers the the image issues and also saves political careers in the future of other folks. It's a net win across the board. Alan Moore. Yeah, I was amused before when, when we were wondering whether a losing candidate had ever been a, 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 a responder to the State of the Union. And I thought, probably the first losing candidate, but not the first loser. We've had a number of losers, and they usually were on their way down, and their their speech took them down even farther, <laughs> and their, their grand hopes were dashed, dashed. on the rocks yeah. of, uh, of sitting in that little room. We, we won't mention yeah, any no, names. Nobody's political career was made from response to the State of the Union. Well, th- I, we don't want to mention any names, former governor of Louisiana, but anyway, <laughs> the... the it, Laura Chavez, it, as me, Alan grabs his water, uh, Marco Rubio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're not mentioning names, and we're not on camera. Uh, Laura, the, the the question with Stacey Abrams is, it, you know, we're we're seeing the advent of this new push for women, more women of minority that are coming in. Uh, is is this a gamble for the Democrats, uh, largely because of the fact that the people that put Trump into office, a good chunk of them were white, middle class, lunch pail carrying males from the Midwest? Uh, is this is this sending the right message or could this backfire on the Dems? I think this is actually a pretty safe play for the Democrats right now. Uh, she... She is one of the uh, high-profile Democrats who showed really well in the midterm uh, cycle, uh, which bodes really well for her to hopefully have a have a good show tonight. 
Um, that being said, yes, there are a lot of white male Midwestern lunch pail workers who voted for Trump and put him in office. But keep in mind, there's also a large population of people who voted in the Midwest who were white male workers who voted for Obama. Uh, this is kind of one of those plays that might actually appeal to the Obama Trump voter. Um, that being said, it is a bit of a gamble for anything um, when it comes to the Republican Party, you know, trying to get those votes away. But right now, also keep in mind, Democrats are really trying to shore up their base. Um, we need to, or a lot of Democrats need to make sure that there is that sort of staple ground. And keep in mind, Stacey Abrams was one of the more, um, at the end, come, you know, like mid-November or whenever the uh, election down in Georgia was finally settled, um, she was one of the more persecuted people. People saw her as someone who had the election stolen from her. So this is kind of the chance to be like, that, no, you know, but she's Laura, one of us. Laura, isn't that promulgating? Laura, isn't that, promulg- isn't that promulgating the victim mentality that, that the Democrats kind of want to get away from? No, because I think what they're going to do is they picked a strong woman, a powerful woman, a woman that stands for something, um, and a woman that, in all honesty, kind of embodies a lot of what the Democratic Party sees as their future. So I don't think this, it kind of plays to the idea of uh, the Beto O'Rourke's or the Andrew Gillums, you know, yeah, we might have lost this round, we might have lost this battle, but the war's not over, kind of thing. Like, yeah, Stacey Abrams lost. It was a tough loss. A lot of people had a lot of heart in it. It was, you know, she had, I mean, for goodness sake, she had Oprah knocking on doors for her. But it's one of those things that people are looking back and saying, like, yeah, you know what? She got knocked down from what I think is a very unfair fight, and she's back up. She's ready to talk about it. And I think I believe Dan brought up a really good point. She's not running in 2020. Right. She's actually the person that right. has the most leverage in this moment. Right. You know, she's not going to be worrying about like, oh, is this going to impact my poll numbers? Oh, is this going to, you know, hurt my chances? How like, how's this going to play in Iowa? She does not care. Admiral Ken, I'm going to give you the last. Liter- Admiral Ken, I'm going to give you the last word. So, so, so there's there's a there's a couple or maybe two or three different segments of people to consider. So you started out this segment talking about um, those those lunch pole, lunch pail carrying um, uh, flyover state uh, voters. They don't know who Stacey Abrams is. They could care less. They don't know. And and maybe the one good thing about her doing the speech, you know, at the end of it, they'll 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 pick up their computers or their phones and they'll Google who the hell is Stacey Abrams. For the party faithful, they all know who she is. They already have decided that you know she's an up-and-comer, and they're going to back her, which is one of the main reasons she's probably doing the speech. And then finally, uh, there's those solid red people who are still going to be backing Trump no matter what he does, up to and including sh- shooting somebody in the face in Central Park, and, and, and that are not going not gonna, to gonna waver from that. The fact of the matter is is that this presents an opportunity for Stacey Abrams. And if she's good and if she's smart and she doesn't pull a Marco Rubio, uh, she'll be she'll be remembered. If she doesn't, if she's not good, if she's not smart, um, not even a good footnote. I mean, Dan Lipner, to me, when you have somebody who just lost a huge high-profile race, like the one in Georgia we just had in this last cycle, when we look at... Uh, anybody in history who has done this, I give you Bobby Jindal. Uh, it it almost seems like Stacey Abrams is almost kissing the, her political future. She might be a possible DNC chair down the road. Is, is there any upside for Stacey Abrams in this? Yeah. Um, so... She's already being courted. And I was kind of surprised when I saw this little blurb in the news today, being courted to run for Senate from Georgia. Uh, now, she's be, she's uh, running against a significantly more talented uh, Republican incumbent uh, against uh, uh, Senator Perdue. Um, so, and well-liked, and, by the way. And, and uh, well, I would say liked. I don't know how well-liked, but liked. Um, he, he, I, I don't know any negatives about uh, Senator Perdue. Right, right. So that kind of raising of her national profile um, after the State of the Union, so the people who tune in, all of the talking heads, um, beyond just the the true believers in the Democratic Party are going to be introduced to her. And so that will – and just this is now just if I am her uh, political fundraising team, I'm going to be jumping all over this and suddenly making sure that she has a national call list right. – 
for her fundraising. So there's absolutely an upside for her. Okay. Uh, I'm getting literally death stares from Rob the Engineer, which means we're over time almost. Uh, with that being said, special thanks, Dan Lipner. Thanks for being in studio, as well as Admiral Ken, Alan Moore. Uh, hey, Laura Chavez, thanks for joining us on this segment. Thank you. And on behalf of Rob the Engineer behind the glass and Audrey Howerton in the upstate New York undisclosed location, I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. Uh, stick, oh, by the way, you can also download this as a podcast at Backroom Politic. You can go and listen to us on our website, backroompolitics.org. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politic and listen to the broadcast live. Uh, and oh, by the way, listen to our in depth segment later on in the week where we're going to be talking about all of the big political news coming out of Virginia. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. This has been Backroom Politics.